as we approach the end of our storybook, incidentally, and I meant to say this first service, forgot. I think we have a few of these left out at the welcome desk. If you don't have one yet, just grab one. We'd love for you to have it. If there's somebody that you've been wanting to get one to, feel free to just take one and get it to them. Um, I think we have some more out there. Uh, we're into the New Testament and uh, following uh, how the, the early believers in Jesus responded after his death, burial, and resurrection. We're learning about life in the early church. And so this morning, we're going to focus on the now what of it all, and I'll talk more about that in a minute, and then also learn about the Apostle Paul, crucial figure in the early church. If there was one person, um, you know, aside from Jesus, who got the Jesus lifestyle and did the most with it, who took it the furthest with his life, who built the biggest legacy around following Jesus, it would almost certainly be Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul. And we're going to just kind of do an introduction to him in a few minutes. But let me first talk about, about the now what. Because so much of, 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 of the, the New Testament of the Bible and the book of Acts, it goes like this. And this is to make sure that everybody, well, some of this is review. I want to make sure everybody leaves here on the same page. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are called the Gospels. Those are the biographies of Jesus. And then Jesus uh, dies, resurrection, and ascension into heaven. And his followers now are going to take that and, and they start uh, churches. And that's the book of Acts, talking about life in the early church. Then after that, there are letters um, to these churches, mostly from the Apostle Paul, telling them how to conduct themselves. So, so um, there's this breakout movement that begins, but it starts with a bunch of people asking, now what? So in the Old Testament, much of the Old Testament is God telling the Jewish people, listen, you're going to be my people, and your... your um, Waywardness has led you to punishments, and now you're away from your land. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to establish a kingdom, the kingdom of God. I'm going to give you a Messiah, and he is going to bring about a kingdom of God that's never going to end. And so the Jewish people are waiting for this Messiah. Now, what we learn from Jesus is that it's going to be a, a, a kind of lifestyle kingdom. It's a redemptive movement, but... All the Jews are really interested in is a geographical kingdom. They want their Messiah to come and overthrow the Roman Empire and make them a geographical powerhouse. And so now Jesus is on the scene and he's doing miracles and he's teaching with authority and the people are very excited because this is Jesus. He's telling us he's the Messiah. This is going to happen in our lifetime. We're going to get the front row seat to the kingdom of God coming to earth and Romans being overthrown and paying for their crimes against humanity, and it's all going to be great. Ready, go. Jesus marches into Jerusalem, and the Romans get him, and they kill him. Well, now what? So <clears throat> what we learn, with the benefit of hindsight, is that the death that Jesus died on the cross was really the punishment for all of our sins. He was paying the price for our sins, freeing us from that death penalty, freeing us to just walk with God in friendship because the penalty has been paid. What they saw was a revolution being defeated. So these followers who had kind of left everything and, and had put their trust in Jesus and risked the own, you know, their relational capital 
are looking at each other and they say, well, now what? Then a few days later, Jesus is alive. He raises from the dead and he gives these uh, evidences for a month and a half afterwards saying, look, I'm alive. Nail holes. I'm good. All right, our guy's alive. Now what? What do we do? And then Jesus, before he ascends and leaves physically, in physical form, we read about this in Acts 1. The believers gathered around Jesus and asked him, Lord, are you going to uh, restore the kingdom of Israel or to, to Israel? Are you going to do that thing we've been waiting on? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times and dates the Father has set by his own authority. But, here's what I want you to do. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. The idea of the Holy Spirit, the power arm of God who would come inside to, to live inside of followers of Jesus. The power of God in us. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He said to them, he said this, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. So, Jesus is alive and he has all the believers together and they say, now what? What do you want us to do? And Jesus says, I want you to get together in churches for an hour and then wait till you die where you'll go to heaven. No, that's not what he says, but that's what a lot of Christians and churches become is a place to get together for an hour and have an occasional potluck dinner and wait to die. And that's what Christianity is about. It's about waiting to die till we get to the good stuff. But that's not what Jesus says. He says, you'll receive power and you will be my judges in the world. You go out and judge and tell people everything that they're doing wrong and condemn them and tell them where you're right and they're wrong and what's wrong in their life and threaten hell if necessary. Doesn't say that. And you will be my lawyers, putting people on the stand and badgering them and cross-examining them and beating them into submission till they throw up their hands and say, okay, you're right. Doesn't say that. And you will be my what? Witnesses. You'll be my witnesses. I need you to go and tell people what you found to be true of me. What your experiences are showing you about me. I want you to go to people and I want you to tell them what I'm doing in your life. That's it. Not those other things. And and here's the thing. So Jesus tells us just, just look into the spaces of your life and tell people this is what you found. The number one thing that I hear when, when, I, when I talk with people about what, what are the obstacles to telling people what God's doing in your life, it, it's the idea of, of, well, what if I don't know? What if they ask questions? What, what if there's this awkward, I don't know the answer to that. I, I can't defend. Well, here's the deal. Jesus says witness. He says, just, you know what God's doing in your life. You don't have to know how. 
You don't have to know all that. So, so there's this new, I, 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 on my iPhone this past week, I downloaded this new app called Fantastical 2. Fantastical, C-A-L, because it's a calendar app. Second version. And it lists my appointments down, like it's, you scroll down and it lists appointments. And between those appointments, it'll put the, the, the timed reminders and tasks based on where they appear in the flow of the day. Really neat. Really helped me kind of know where I should be and what I should be doing more so than... And, and, and I'm telling you, I'm witnessing to you saying, that was really helpful for me to get something because it lists it chronologically. Now, you could come back to me and say, well, tell me about the coding. I mean, how, how really, how to... I don't know anything about the coding. <laughs> I just know that it works. Well, tell me about the developers. What, what's going on at the it's big company spoke? I don't know. I just know that that really works for my day. That's how I can witness or tell about my experience with fantastical. And in the same way, God isn't calling you, probably, maybe uniquely. But God doesn't need you to be able to, like Dr. Williams over here, explain how a cell works, thermonuclear dynamic stuff, God doesn't need for you to be able to have a great answer for an apparent contradictions in the book of 2 Chronicles. God's just asking you, tell people what I'm doing in your life. You'll be my witnesses. I'm showing myself alive. You be my witnesses. Now, he goes on to talk about spaces. Jerusalem. Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. That really would have said something to uh, early followers of Jesus because their spaces were, were really broken down by uh, people groups. And so Jerusalem were like the, the hardcore godly people just like them. Judea was the larger region of hardcore godly people just like them. And he's saying, you know what, in those spaces, I want you to tell people what's true of me. And, and I think that, that there are going to be not only those spaces where people are most like us that represent a great opportunity for us to just speak into because there are already people we know, there are friends, they're for us. Uh, but, but also, I mean, let's not forget to share what Jesus is doing in our life with people who think and act like us. Sometimes when I think about this stuff, I think about it in context of people who are far from God. But I need to be sharing what God is doing in my life with, with you guys as well, who I know. And then he talks about uh, Samaria, which were like the hybrid people. People that were in kind of the mixed bag of, of uh, godly and yet infused with the world. And we have people like that in our lives. And we need to be sharing what God is doing in our life with people like that. And then there's the ends of the earth. These were the Gentiles, people who had no kind of, of Bible godly framework at all. <clears throat> and we need to know who those people are. And we need to share what God is doing in our life with them as well. So Jesus is saying, I need you to tell people what I'm doing in your life. And I need you to think about your spaces for us, he would probably say, like, in your home, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, and at T-ball. 
And we need to think about those spaces. And, and you know what? The, the bottom line is we can't really share effectively if we don't have any friendships or relationships in those kinds of spaces. If we don't really care about people and we don't really get to know people in those different spaces, if we don't have any friendships with people who are far from God, we really can't witness, share what God is doing in our life. And so that's really important. And and, and I guess just finish that thought with this. If we say we follow Jesus, we have to do this. If we say we follow Jesus, if I say I am a follower of Jesus, it means I do what he did and I follow his teachings. And if I'm, if, if I'm ignoring, like, the now what, that's a pretty big thing to just ignore. If that's too hard for me, if that's too awkward for me, and I completely ignore it, that, that's a big deal. Okay. I'm going to now move to the guy named Paul who did that the most. He's the one who did what Jesus said to do there the most. And you can read about him in the book of Acts and all through the New Testament. But basically, here's the essence of his story. His name was Saul till Jesus uh, changed it to Paul. Okay? His name was Saul and he grew up uh, in, in, in the, with the best uh, rabbis teaching him. He knew the Old Testament and the Jewish way of life inside and out. He was a Pharisee. He was a powerful up-and-coming religious leader, and the church, the Jesus movement, was a threat to the Jewish structure and the way they had people kind of oppressed by rules. And as a Jewish leader, he was out to put an end to this crazy uh, cult of Christianity. And so he was at the front of the line cheering on the stonings the imprisonments, the ripping apart of family. Uh, he, he was at the front of the line. He got the assist or he did it himself. He was a bad guy. He was the bad guy in the story of the church. Jesus steps in and very rarely does Jesus just step in and impose a belief on somebody. But Paul is, is on his way to do some more persecuting, and Jesus steps in and shows himself alive. And he tells Paul, you know, normally there's, there's a free will thing, but Jesus pretty much says, listen, dude, this is the way it's going to be. You're going to follow me, and you're going to do what I tell you to do, and you're going to be blind until you decide to. Boom, blind. So Jesus steps in. And chooses Paul and says, you better believe that I'm alive and you better follow me. Read about that in, in the book of Acts. But, but here's what this does for Paul. First of all, Paul realizes, oh my gosh. And can you imagine this? You've been persecuting a group of people and then you realize that that was actually like the thing that the God of the universe was doing. And, and you were the biggest obstacle to the thing the God of the universe was doing. But... And this is really telling of, of the character of God, because I think if I were God, I would have just like killed him. Just pfft. He does it in the Old Testament all the time. Just you know, pfft, done. 
then pick my disciples that I already got who already put their trust in me and, and, and you know, okay, I got rid of him, you go do that. But instead of eliminating the guy who's the biggest problem, Jesus chooses him. And so Paul has this conviction, oh my gosh, I was out against that. I'm the chief of sinners. Line up all the sinners in the world. I'm at the front of the line. I killed the church. And Jesus chose me. And, and Paul is so moved by the grace of God that it drives him to want to take that everywhere. He witnesses. Look at what I've seen to be true of Jesus. You need to know that. Look at the redemption that God has brought into my life. I want to be a part of that redemptive movement. I want you to know that kind of redemption. And this drives Paul. So, so this is from the, the book of Romans, which is actually a letter that Paul wrote to Roman Christians who had no kind of church background, no kind of religious background. Paul writes them this letter. He says, I'm obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That's why I'm so eager to preach the gospel. Now, gospel, etymology of the word, God's spell, good tale, means good news. So that's actually how that could be translated, good news. That's just what Paul called it. This Jesus thing, good news. I'm eager to proclaim or tell about or witness to or preach the good news to you who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the good news because it's the power of God to bring salvation, redemption, wholeness to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For the good news, the righteousness of God is revealed. For in the good news, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now, I'll tell you what, what, what he's, what's, what's going on here inside of him. Paul has grown up believing you do things right to please God. You get your righteousness from doing enough things right to please God. That's been his driving force his whole life. Now he's learned... That righteousness comes from the cross alone. That Jesus paid the price. We're not doing good things to overcome the bad things. Jesus paid the price for the bad things. So the righteousness we get comes from the cross, and that's why it's good news. The righteousness of God was provided for us on the cross, and it's available even to people who kill Christians and persecute the church. And this drives Paul... biggest problem in the early church as you read the letters that Paul wrote, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, the books of the New Testament that are really letters. It, the biggest threat in the church in the first century and a little bit beyond Jewish Christians who had been born Jews who were raised to believe that you earned your way Let's just say you earned your way to heaven. You earned your way to rightness with God by doing all of this stuff and, and taking these days off work 
and not doing any work here and not touching any of that stuff, when they converted to Christianity, the cross thing was really hard for them. What do you mean I'm not earning my way? What do you mean it's not about doing, 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 doing? And so they would start imposing things on on all the Christians saying, nope, you got to do that, you got to do that, you got to do that, you got to do that to stay right with God. And Paul's thing was he wanted these people who were far from God to know it's not about earning your way. It's about righteousness from the cross. And so he was like lifting up the message, the love of the cross. That was his thing because his story was one of of works, 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 ritual, ritual, ritual. And then all of a sudden, this infusion of God's grace, that was his story. And he wanted everybody to know that. That was good news to Paul. Now here is what it drove him to do. Listen, listen to, uh, to how he endured because his passion for the now what was so great. He says in 2 Corinthians... Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. In other words, I was whipped 40 times, five different times by the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles. Man, I thought by watching daytime, like preaching on TV, that if you just believed in Jesus and gave money to them, that life was awesome. In danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked and beside everything else I face daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. All of that trouble was a result of him going wherever he could to tell people what Jesus was doing in his life. To tell people the redemptive message of the cross. He was so driven to do that that he was willing to risk it all. When Jesus said, I want you to go. And I want you to tell people the good news of what I can do for life. Paul took that very seriously. And there are men and women and teens and children who take that very seriously all over the world. And their stories really inspire me. I love to hear somebody who, you know, God has done something, and I'm going to go to my spaces, and I'm going to do anything I can to bring redemption to that. So one of those guys, his, his name is Big Cleve. His real name is Marcus Evans. And we helped him get a church started in inner city Cleveland a few years ago. And I asked him this past week, Cleve, would you, um, would you share with us what you're doing what inspires you? What really motivates you to keep going and, and do this tough stuff in inner city Cleveland? Here's his story. My mission field, of course, is Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, the urban areas, the context in which most of the crime and violence and uh, Despair seems to be going into those domains to seek and save the loss, to uh, add value and to expose the value uh, 
in the lives of the people who are in despair, who feel who feel far from the Lord and who uh, may feel that they have no worth. So that is our mission at the Revolution 216. That is my personal mission. I'm motivated, uh, first of all, by my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, but also uh, to really, you know, leave on this earth everything the Lord has put in me. I really believe that it, it's important to give it all you have and to glorify the Lord by uh, emptying emptying yourself of everything he's put in you and, and prayerfully that adds value to people that helps change lives that moves his mission and his his you know purposes in the world and i'm just grateful to be a part of that you know there's a lot of pessimism there is a lot of dread uh there's a lot of despair um especially in the urban context uh more specifically in African-American community with all that's going on, all the lives being lost. Uh, of course, there is this backlash from the gentrification that's going on in the city of Cleveland, which is causing the violence to spike. And so it's a lot of deaths going on. Uh, we've had to deal with a couple of suicides attempts, and we've had to deal with a couple of, uh, people going to jail, at least in our community. And then we just recently had uh, an 18 month old who was murdered by his three year old brother, um, shot. He wasn't, you know, he was killed by his brother on accident because of a gun that was left at our church. Uh, our community has been, um, on the front line trying to bring life and hope peace and joy to all the confusion going on. There's a possibility that you can take on the hopelessness, but we have the hope in the world and we're going to share that and we're going to uh, serve and uh, prayerfully bring thousands and thousands of people, millions of people out of the life of disparity. All right. That's what we see going on in the field. Pray for us. So I try to get together with Cleve every now and then, um, and I listen to his stories, and it just setback after setback after setback. And uh, yet he is so committed, no matter what, I'm going to do what Jesus has said. I'm going to take that redemptive message and share what, what I've seen Jesus do in my life with the people around me. There's another family at Polaris, the Williams, and uh, they have a daughter named Bethany who uh, was here, I think, for Easter Sunday and uh, got to catch up with her a little bit. Um, she's so serious about this. And I mean, as a family, you guys are just amazing. All I mean, You're always flying all over the world doing this. Um, Bethany has... has uh, uh, gone back to the Iraq area and some of the surrounding countries, um, moved by what she has seen Jesus do in her life, moved by what she believes that Jesus can do in the lives of others. And then she had to go, had to go there. Here's her story. So Bethany gets it. 
she hears what Jesus is saying and uh, and she gets it. Um, we have a responsibility. Jesus is trusting us with this redemptive movement. It, it's, it's either us or it's lights out. It's in our hands. Are we going to bear witness to what Jesus is doing in our life or not? But also there's this other thing of, I, I think it is true that the vast majority of people who would raise their hand for I'm a Christian really do live that go to church and wait to die. And that's lame. I mean, that's just, that's not the life and legacy that I want. There is a redemptive movement in this world. And we get to be a part of it. And it's what God is doing. And in all of our sin and in all of our brokenness, we get to be a part of it. But we, we, we really do have to get past the point of, yeah, that's something I should do. Like, I should clean out the garage. I should lose weight. I should eat better. I should exercise. Um, I should call my mom more. And I should tell people about Jesus. We've got to get past that. And into a place where there are real people in our real spaces where we really are doing it because the world needs it. But here's the good news. The good news is this is all good news. There is something eternal going on and we can be a part of it and we're a part of it through faith. Our sins are forgiven. And Jesus says, Jesus said, if I am lifted up, I'll draw people to me. If I'm lifted up, I'll do the work. Because this is really what God does. This is a Holy Spirit thing. That It's God who converts people. It's our job to simply say, this is what I've seen in my life. The message of the cross is one of unbelievable love. Unbelievable grace. And we have it. And we get to be a part of sharing it. Jesus says, if you just lift me up, I will draw the world to me. And that's our responsibility. So if you'd stand, we want to do one last song. And during this song, I really want you to take in the message of the cross that you've been entrusted with. And maybe see those faces in those spaces that represent people who need to know what God has been up to in your life. Let's pray. God, help us to lift high your activity in our life. To lift high the love that you showed to us. Thank you for that calling. Thank you for this redemptive movement that you have began. And I pray that like Paul and like Big Cleve, like Bethany Williams, that we would be inspired in such a way that, that, that we would simply settle for nothing less than a life of lifting high your activity, your redemptive activity in the world. In Jesus' name, amen.